Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and of course, as always, this is my co-host. I am Chris Huddleston. That was a very subdued uh, intro you didn't say. You know, I'm feeling a little subdued today. <laughs> okay. Um, it's not going to be uh, Broadway every single time. You got to mix it up. This is gonna. This is a little bit more like community theater for me today. All right. So, this is kind of a somber film. So, yeah, this is. I'm excited. I'm genuinely excited to be talking about this one. So, um, today we are both genuinely excited to be mm-hmm. talking to you about the Jake Gyllenhaal movie, Enemy. You don't go to the movies, do you? I don't. I don't go out that much. Is there a reason why you're asking me this? You know, maybe you had a recommendation. <laughs> Anthony Clare, 3650 Rathburn Road. Hello? Uh, good afternoon. Hey. Um, no, I'm calling to speak Where to Dan. Where are you Dan? calling from? I'm, so, I'm sorry, I, th- I think there's been a misunderstanding. Who is this? Okay, I'm gonna, I'll call back later. Who was on the phone? The same guy who called before. Same guy. Are you lying to me? I am your only mother. He looks exactly like you. What's happening? I I really don't know what you're talking about. I think you know. Why'd you come looking for me? I needed to know. I have some questions for you. Who are you? What's wrong? You're crazy. I'm crazy! Okay, good trailer. So do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddleston? I do have a synopsis. So this is a 2013 film. As you said, it stars Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, It is directed by Dennis Villeneuve. Um, we got to learn how to pr- pronounce his name. We're going to have to, especially we're before. We're big fans, both of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we got a few months still till Dune, you know, yeah, whenever okay. we do that one. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, So this is a synopsis, short and sweet, from IMDb. A man seeks out his exact lookalike after spotting him in a movie. Doink. Doink. I like short and sweet. So, you know, what did you, have you, you hadn't seen, have you, you'd seen this before. I did see this. But I hadn't seen it. Yeah. So let's, let's start with you. Um, I liked it. Um, yeah, that's it. The end. No, I liked it a lot. Um, you know, and I like that we watched it after watching, um, Jake Gyllenhaal's that was not Jake Gyllenhaal's first movie. It was it, not, but it no. was his kind of breakout movie as um, 
the lead who carries the film. And mm-hmm. I think uh, I think set the stage for his future A-list status because um, it really he did such a great job in that. So now we sort of fast forward to this was a 2013. 13. OK, so mm-hmm. pretty relatively recent. Um, and he's really playing both the, I, I guess they're both an protagonists, you know, one's yeah. sort of an antagonist, the other's a pro, but they're not really, at, they're not in the classical sense of, uh, protagonist, antagonist. It's, um, it is a movie about a guy who meets his doppelganger, his double, and, I think what I like the most about this movie is we've seen thrillers where there's that kind of thing before. We reviewed one recently. Um, and this is sort of other than that, but it's also sort of more than that. This is a this is also a thinker. Um, mm-hmm. And I wasn't expecting that going into it. I wasn't expecting that there would be some interesting symbolism in it. I wasn't expecting that it was going to be anything but like one of them's evil and the other one's not. And the evil one's trying to ruin the good one's life. And right. We've seen Will Smith's movies like this, stuff like that. This really isn't that film. I th- I think the, um, the tone of it. And, you know, I was deaf. I was, it's a, I hesitate to say it's a slow movie. It's not, an action, it's not a thrill ride. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, it's a drama, really, for the for all the, the gimmickly of the double thing. It's really paced uh, like a drama. Mm-hmm. Um, once we meet the double, we start following them both more equally, right? One of them is a teacher and the other is an actor. And we really follow, we start with the teacher, and we really follow the teacher more. But after we meet the actor, we spend a fair amount of time following the actor, too. And they both have girlfriends. I guess the actor is married, and the teacher just has a girlfriend. And they both look very similar, too, mm-hmm. but I, they're not supposed to be doubles of each other. And, you know, it, it goes someplace kind of... The, one, one guy... the. So the actor sort of decides that maybe this the the teacher instigated all of this somehow to have an affair with his wife. Mm-hmm. And so he pulls this sort of thing like now I'm going to dress up as you and I'm going to go take I'm going to go have sex with your girlfriend and then we'll be even and you stay out of my life. And it's it's strange but the movie makes it work. And by the end you wonder like is this really two people or is this just right? You don't really believe it's one guy having a psychotic break. Right. But Mm -hmm. you, I started to feel like, Oh, this movie is kind of, um, it's just kind of an exploration of self and identity and masculinity. And there's a lot of sort of poetic elements to it. And, it's that, you know, and it's playing that out with under this trope of like, oh, there's two of these guys. 
Anyway, I'm going on and on. What What did you think? You've seen it now twice. I, I wondered what a second viewing would unpeel for me. Yeah, it. Uh, so it had been. I I initially saw this in the theater. Um, I saw this and Under the Skin back to back to back weekends, which was oh. which was, uh, you know, those were two very interesting movies that had some similarities, but but also some some big differences. So, like I, like this one, Under the Skin raises almost more questions than it answers. Yes. Absolutely. And this is, ba- it, it says, I, I looked it up on Wikipedia and it says loosely based, but this is based on a movie, or I'm sorry, a book, um, a novel from 2002 that's just called The Double, which I believe is, it didn't say here, but it's Argentinian or Colombian or something like that. But at at the time when I watched this this film for the first time, I uh, I really kind of wanted to read the book at some point, and you know, I never did, but because I kind of wondered, you know, what if it might answer some of the questions uh, that are raised here. But you have a lot of so again, as we as we say every episode, we're you know, we we definitely have to talk about the ending of this. But there yes. is in the very beginning, there's this scene with um, where he's in some kind of an like an underground. Sex yeah, it's club a heck, or something. Heck of a hook for a movie too. It's yeah. just really intense. And it's basically this, you know, this woman is going to they uh you know bring out this tarantula and she's gonna step it's on like it. A, it's like a it's like a sex it. club. Yeah, yeah. And there's a bunch of guys sitting around with that kind of predatory look on their faces watching the stage. And there's a woman on stage, I think she's masturbating. It's definitely a sex act, right? That they're mm-hmm. watching. And there's a lot of close-ups, and, and Gyllenhaal's character's there. We don't know which one yet because we haven't met two of them. Right. Right. We find out later it's the actor. We realize mm-hmm. later that it's not the teacher there, that it's the actor, but we haven't even met the actor yet. So. Right. Um, then there's a lot of close-ups of the guy's eyes watching this on stage, and they've got that you know, like bird of prey look on their face, just flat, you know? Mm-hmm. And, sorry, go ahead. You're describing oh, I, this. Yeah, I wanted so to I paint just... the scene as dark. It's oh, sure, a sure. secret club. They have a key. They get in. The main thing that I was going to talk about is, so it's in, it takes place in Toronto. And there is, there's all the, of the spider imagery throughout the the film where there's like these giant spiders lurking over uh you know over the city and then at the very end Wait, I only counted 3 What's that? I only counted 3 instances of the actual spider. Oh yeah. Yeah, I guess it was that was just uh the the uh I, I it was pretty late when I watched this so but so let's I'm, let's pick them apart because I think it's very it's central to this movie and and when we're posting this I very deliberately didn't pick one of the images for the for the uh, podcast art that showed any spider imagery because I think it was one of the most interesting surprises of the film and mm-hmm. I wouldn't have understood it if I didn't watch 
sort of some actor director commentary afterwards with Dennis Villeneuve. Okay, now I did not do that. So well, uh, we're going to have an interesting conversation. But let's okay. take a minute and, and paint this first thing. So mm-hmm. there's this on the stage. There's this sort of dining tray with one of those uh, metal covers on it, mm-hmm. right? Like a waiter takes off the lid to reveal the dish, right? And that's sitting on stage, and we see it, but it's not referenced. So the first woman finishes up whatever she's doing and leaves, and another woman comes walking out. I take that back. There's four spider images in the story. Um, she walks out, and she's essentially nude except for these big high heels. And she takes the lid off of the dish, and it's a huge spider, a tarantula-sized spider. But I saw it as hairless. Mm-hmm. Did was that it was a weird pale it looked like a big bulbous tarantula, but it didn't look like it had all the fur on it like a yeah. tarantula does, right? It was definitely strange. And it's slow, one of those big slow spiders. And it mm. sort of starts walking off the plate. And it's clear that the sexual act here is that she kind of walks up behind it and she puts her heel down behind it and then she brings the front of her foot down on this like she's stepping on this huge spider right and we don't see her crush it and it, they they it spares us the sound mm-hmm. but then it cuts to all the different guys faces observing this like this is the climactic event of the thing and then it ends on Gyllenhaal you know watching it so he has his hands sort of in front of his face and he's you know, we see his eyes staring out through his fingers uh, by this thing. And it's it's a crazy scene. It is, yeah. You know, so right off the bat, this thing has grabbed you by the lapels, and you're like, what have I gotten myself into here? Mm-hmm. I just wanted to really land the hook because that was the effect it had on me. It was like, oh, God, please don't – please cut away from this. I do <laughs> not want to see this huge spider get squished. And I don't want to hear it. You know, most movies would be like, yeah. And I, I was like, oh, please, no, please. And it didn't. And I was grateful for that. So anyway, so yes, so that's the opening sequence. And? So then we have, uh, there is the giant kind of, you know, spider or spiders that lurk over top of the city with these giant legs, mm-hmm. you know, coming In the background. Down. Yeah. Like they're not attacking people, but we see them in these these wide angles shots of the cityscape. Right. And then the very end is the There's another one. There's another Oh, one. okay. He okay. has a dream. He's having a nightmare slash dream where it's an upside down hallway. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's and a the a nude woman reminiscent of the woman who stepped on the spiders kind of walking out of the darkness towards him in the dream and so it's along the ceiling is what it appears like and and we see that her head is uh, like the head of a spider yeah and you know just as we sort of there's just enough time to catch that and he yeah you know he wakes up out of this nightmare and that is such great imagery yes because it's again it's not it's not they're not none of these spiders are threatening in the sense of they're they're terrifying and unsettling and upsetting but 
they're not attacking. You know, it's not a giant spider above a city eating people. And it's not a woman in a dream with a spider head coming at you like she's going to bite you. It's like she's it's like you're passing her in a hallway. Yeah. And then as she gets close enough and walks out of the shadow, her head is this arachnoid thing. You know, and she doesn't hiss or spit or scream. She just like turns her heads and looks at you as she walks by. But you're like, oh, my God, you know. And that that scene always and I don't know if it if this was intentional or not. But did you ever see Black Swan? I haven't. Oh, okay. Well, I won't say this then. There's a uh there's a there's a scene somewhat similar to uh that's a movie that we should watch for the podcast. I should check it out, right? Oh, we it's... should we should watch. Maybe I we have something planned for next, but maybe after that we should watch okay. Black Swan cuz I saw it once in the theater and have it I, I don't know how you feel about. I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I I'm a Natalie, big big Natalie fan. Portman? What's that? Were you going to say you don't know how I feel about Natalie Portman? Oh, uh no, I think uh Everybody loves Natalie Portman, I, I think. I mean, but uh, no, I was going to say, I don't know what, what you, how you feel about Darren Aronofsky's movies. Oh, but, yeah, it's um, it's a mixed bag for me. Okay. Um, I'm really brilliant. into to most. Uh, I never saw the Noah one. but Oh, really? Uh, oh, that yeah. one I did see. I've never seen that one. But, uh, but anyway, there's a scene in that that, as I recall, I only saw the movie once, and that was in the theater, that is somewhat reminiscent of, of that scene. Um, but so then, then we have the spite, the final spider scene. Yes. Which is the final, um, it's the final shot of the film, right? Yes. So where he, it's the, he goes into, is it their bedroom? Yes. And the, you know, well, the, the wife. So. At the end of it, at the end of it, the teacher has ended up with the actor's wife, Mm -hmm. who is pregnant, like six months, great with child, right? And while this whole sort of swap thing happened, right, so the actor um, fools the other girlfriend because they are supposedly the movie establishes that they're so identical that even their loved ones can't tell each other. It's supposed to be, you know, borderline terrifyingly uncanny that they literally look that exactly alike. So the girlfriend who is a little disconnected from through the beginning of the movie anyway with him doesn't seem to notice it's not him um, until later. And then she sort of realizes it's not him. Probably while they're making love or something. I don't remember. Yeah, I exactly. think I think that. Yeah, I think that's what it. And she was. freaks out. She's mm-hmm. like, "Who are you? You know, what is what is this? What's the meaning of this?" Right. And so they're driving back home. And they have an argument, and the car crashes, and they're both presumably killed in the car accident. Meanwhile, the teacher Gyllenhaal, sort of, who is a more timid, you know, sheepish kind of guy, goes to the other guy's house. And just kind of trying it on. And the wife, who has seen him before, right, who has been suspicious of her sort of, you know, disconnected husband, a Mm -hmm. philandering maybe husband, has gone and sought him out and actually seen this guy before. So she has a precedent of seeing two of them. And she recognizes, I think it's pretty clear that she's suspicious from the beginning when he shows up and... By the end, she sort of says, how was school? 
And he was like, what? And then she's like, never mind. And she just kind of decides to go with it. Like maybe right. she likes this one better yeah. than the other one. So by the end, they're kind of together. And he has assumed this other guy's – it's not that literal. Like it's not like he's, you know, picked up his passport or whatever. But he's now as him in this other guy's apartment with his pregnant wife. And she goes back in the bedroom. And he – this is right at the end of the movie – a few minutes later, he kind of gets up and, and heads into the bedroom, too. And I, I'll let you finish telling what it is. Well, so she, he goes in, and she's a giant spider, right? She's not in the room. Yeah, there, I mean, there's, there yeah, is there's a giant, giant literally yeah. the size of the room, like, right. on the opposite, in the opposite corner. And it, it, what's striking to me about that thing is he comes in the room, and... The spider's response is fear. Yeah. So it recoils into the corner the way spiders do, where they pull all their legs up and they sort of cover their eyes behind their, you know, legs. Like they get as small as they can into a corner when they feel threatened um, or surprised. Except this is a spider that is literally the size of the room. Right. And you do hear its huge feet. Like it goes, Mm. is it? It's like, oh, I didn't see you there. You know, and then there's just a reaction shot of him staring at it, and that's the end of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure there were a ton of. Well, I I don't know how many people saw this in the in the movie theater, but I imagine there were a lot of people that were just like, what, what the hell, you know, that don't like uh, uh, these kind of ambiguous films. But what did you think it meant? And then when you uh, when you heard the commentary from the director, was your assumption correct? Or Do you did know, he have a yeah, different? I, I want to ask you that question because all I will say for right this second is I was struck by the very deliberate use of the spider images throughout. I didn't have a sense of what it meant or signified or implied, but I did very carefully note that they were not, they were scary because they were spiders. Mm-hmm. Not because they were doing uh, a tacky, spidery things. You know, right? It's not um, Starship Troopers where the arachnids are these, they're coming to, you know, eat you or dismember you or whatever, right? When we see giant insect movies, your food for the giant insect. Mm-hmm. That's not the way he's using these. They're giant insects in different scales here, but literally at the end, it is <laughs> the size of well, the one that's so big, bigger over the city is the size of a skyscraper. Yeah, they're not um, terrorizing; they're just terrifying. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, "That's really interesting. Why are they?" And that last one was very clearly afraid. The spider's afraid. Of him. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, I don't know what that means. And then right afterwards, the the commentary started to roll. And it's not a long commentary. I think I watched it on Prime or I don't remember where I watched it. But the commentary just started right afterwards. And we get to the end and Dennis Villeneuve um, speaks to it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like fully unpack it. 
but he gives you the key to what he was thinking of. And I was just like, it's been unfolding in my mind ever since he said that. So I don't want to just, I didn't have a whole period of being like, I think it means this. And oh, but then he said it was that. I want to hear you, <laughs> who hasn't seen the commentary, tell me what you think after two viewings. So I was I was never really either the first time I watched it or this time. I didn't have a feel like I had a tremendous understanding of it. I felt like it was some kind of a commentary on, you know, you had talked about masculinity earlier and I, I you know, I thought it was some kind of a commentary on um a man feeling trapped, maybe controlled by women, but you kind of have the reverse of that with the spider being, um, I always took it as the spider was the girlfriend or the wife. Um, and, but I didn't really, you know, the, the fact of the spider being afraid, I didn't quite get what that was supposed to mean. So I was, I never really had a great, understanding of what this or the other spiders were supposed to signify. Well, what, what effect did they have on you? You know, so you saw them, obviously there, it's not a movie about giant insects or superheroes or anything. It's a movie Mm -hmm. about, you know, if the guys looked vaguely similar, it would be a different movie than the fact that they are uncannily, you know, unbelievably identically exact. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you had said earlier, it's also one of these where you're never, you know, you're not 100% quite sure if um, it's just one guy or it's two different guys. And I I, I always kind of wondered if the car crash was some kind of a symbolic thing where it was like he was killing off part of his personality. I don't know. I could have been way off on that, but. Yeah, I thought about that too. Um you know, when Gyllenhaal was talking about it, he's like, he always conceived them as two aspects of the same person. Okay. When he was, you know, performing the roles. And that was his interpretation of it. And uh, Villeneuve didn't come down, didn't commit one way or the other. Mm-hmm. You know, he sort of sat there smiling, a Mona Lisa smile. Um But what he said about the spider was he wanted to use the spider as a symbol of the feminine. Okay. And he said, and I think I don't want to I don't want to explain it too much more than that. But I think if you go back and think about it, it will be obvious. And I have been thinking about it and without, you know, picking it apart in too much detail. If, if this is a movie about one guy's sort of wrestling with his masculinity, right? Half of him is this is intellectual and sensitive and shy and a little self-conscious. And half of him is egotistical and has commitment issues and is more aggressive and paranoid. Then... Maybe the two female characters are in some ways, while not supposed to be the same person, they are the female companion, you know, of these different stages of the same guy's life or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the spider, if it's a symbol of the feminine, 
right? That It's at its most literal in the dream where it's a woman with a spider's head. Mm-hmm. And during a sex show, which is exploitation, you know, one woman inflicting pain on or crushing or it's a violent act, right? Stepping on the spider. Yeah. And again, we don't, she, we presume that she crushes the spider to death. Like it's a snuff thing, but maybe she's just, you know, hurting it. I, I don't know. But if that's a fimble, you know, that is a, that is a woman inflicting on the feminine as yeah. for the sexual gratification of the absorbing men. Right. Right. And it's illicit and it's underground and they're these sort of – they're all when like, you know, blazers, coats. So they all clearly are professional people that come to this underground lair to sort of witness this taboo thing. And it's supposed to be a secret, right? Mm-hmm. The spider over the city is just this image of that being kind of larger than life and omnipresent over – you know, it's this lurking figure in the background. And – the spider at the end is this perfect example of the feminine being, I mean, what's more vulnerable than she's not like a, you know, she's a typical woman. She's slender, um, relatively petite. The actress who plays the pregnant wife, she's six months pregnant. Mm-hmm. And at the risk of be, I'm not trying to be offensive, but on screen, like that's a typical, what's a vulnerable character a vulnerable character is a woman who is great with child. She's got everything, so much potential, everything to lose, right? Yeah. That you think that's that's always the victim uh, in, in a movie, and yet a giant spider, right? I mean, think of Lord of the Rings. Think of all the other giant spiders you've seen. They are the personification of horror. And so he comes in the room, and the room is filled with this giant spider. It's terrifying. And the spider's afraid of him. Yes. Right? So it's this wonderful, like, one second explication of how masculinity is afraid of the feminine. Mm-hmm. When it is really the feminine that is always the victim of the masculine. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's the it, we, we step on the spider. We're like, ah, kill it. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I just thought, oh my, that's so brilliant. I can imagine why this film did not. I don't know what it did in the box office, but why, why, why movies like this? You know, it's Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, and you go see it, but it's a it's an art film, really. It's uh, would leave audiences, popcorn audiences, scratching their head. I can, I can see how this maybe wasn't a big success, but. Man, I think this guy's a good filmmaker. I mean, it was really oh. impactful. So it made uh, about $3.5 million worldwide. I don't what know did what it cost? Uh, let me see if I can find. $8. Uh, yeah, it cost $8. Uh, I'll see if I can find here what the budget was. Um, financial information, da, da, da. box office mojo used to be a lot better than what it is. Um, it's okay. Yeah. Not, I'm not, whatever. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the, I'm just was. wondering I'm if sure it made it his money back yeah, and I'm if sure Gyllenhaal did it at, you know, cause I bet he, he gets a lot of money for a movie. I bet sure. he would be excited to work with 
Villeneuve and and probably didn't take his full, you know, like blockbuster um, ticket yeah. to do the movie. And you know, I love I love actors like Gyllenhaal because he's one of these guys who. Um, and some Brad Pitt used to be a guy like this, I think where, you know, they would kind of, uh, bounce back and forth between, you know, they would do these kind of big blockbuster movies, you know, to get a big paycheck. And then they would do these small kind of movies that you, you got the feeling were what they really wanted to do. Um, you know, and they don't, because they can make a bunch of money elsewhere, they don't have to take a big salary here. So, you know, I think. Gyllenhaal has has been a guy throughout his career. You know, now he's in like he was in the last Spider Man movie. You know, and so um, and well, Villeneuve. We, we talked about Nightcrawler too, which I think is also reminiscent of Donnie Darko in terms of a, a character portrayal that is just. I mean, did he? He was at least nominated for that, wasn't he? He I may mean, have been. Yeah, let's. Uh, that was keep crazy. Talking that movie. Yeah, and he. He lost all this weight for that, and so you know he would be very gaunt looking. He said he would just go and like um, run for like hours and hours, you know, around the city just to get, you know, super thin and and lean. Um, but and and the director, so Nightcrawler. Um, I don't know if it was got one Oscar nomination. Let's see what it was. Uh, best screenplay. Mm. So uh, he was nominated for a Golden Globe. I feel like that was one of those years where there were a lot of contenders in the field because I yeah. think in a drier year, somebody, he would have won, that performance would have won something. I mean, yeah. it's a hard-to-watch movie. He's a it very is. dislikable character, but um, just a great bit of acting. And you mentioned Brad Pitt. I agree. I like Brad Pitt. I'm a fan of Brad Pitt, but I, I think Hall's the far has a far wider range. Yeah, I I think maybe we talked about this before in another episode. Brad Pitt is a movie star. He's almost yeah. I think of him almost like a John Wayne or something like that. You know, not to disparage John Wayne, but I've never felt that uh, Brad Pitt is an amazing actor. Um, I don't know if you ever saw. Did you see Fury the Tank movie? Yeah, yeah, it was good. and you have him in it and. Um, uh, Shia La- LaBeouf like acts circles around him. I felt you know as much as people dislike Shia LaBeouf because he's a strange guy and everything. He's a really you, good actor. You can't um, say he's bad on screen. You no, can't. And if no. you do, you're not being genuine. You don't yeah. have to like him. I'm not saying you have to like him. Um, but he is good on screen. And he puts you know he he seems to put his all into into what he does. Uh, Brad Pitt that I've always felt. Um, and he was nominated for an Oscar for it, but Twelve Monkeys, he that is a really great performance. Yeah, that, that is. You know, yeah, and I mean, I don't mean to be disparaging. Type. Yeah, no, no, I'm not saying he's a bad actor. He's just, I think Jake Gyllenhaal is a much better actor than what Brad Pitt is. But Brad Pitt is a, you know, they're both movie stars. But Brad Pitt is a movie star. You know, I mean, he's just there's something about him that just on camera, you know, he's just. He's just so impressive. But I like his. I like Brad Pitt's work in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood too. He's and great. That, yeah, that is not so out of type. You know, he's no. a kind of a very simple California archetypal character. But 
I think as he's gotten older too, there's this ease he has on screen. He's another one of these guys that I feel like he's almost so handsome that it gets in the way. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? He's so good looking that it's distracting. Yeah. Uh, and age has helped with that a little bit, although I don't know how old Brad Pitt is, but he's, he's still in his fifties now. I mean, I think he looks probably, amazing. Yeah. I mean, the guy's so handsome. It's crazy. Sure. But yeah, he, uh, but I've always, he, in a lot of movies, it seems that he's kind of more or less playing himself. And that's yeah. what I always liked about the 12 monkeys, uh, role is that he's playing against type, you know, yeah. he's very, very different, but um, but yeah, Gyllenhaal is great. And then you look at, you know, Villain, Villeneuve. I mean, his, he had, uh, he had a few kind of shorts and things like that early on. And then he did, these are his movies all in a row. Prisoners, Enemy, Sicario, Arrival, Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, he, he has to be you know, absolutely one of the best act or directors working right now. I haven't seen Prisoners. I have not either. And um, I was interested because it's Hugh Jackman and... Um, Jake Gyllenhaal. And Jake Gyllenhaal, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought... And it looks dark. Yeah. It looks real dark. But, I mean, that's this is one of these things where just take a couple of movies out of there for any other director... You know, those would be wow. This is a really high watermark, and he has several of these right. in there. And and it remains to be seen what Dune will be like, but it looks like it's going to be pretty impressive. And so often the benchmark is uh, money, right? They say, oh, he made this movie, which made that, and he made this movie, which made that. Uh, but if you just look at the movies, and again, I haven't seen Prisoners, but I've seen all the rest of them, and they're really well-made movies. Oh yeah. You know? They're great movies. I'm, I've am i been watching. There's some more Dune stuff that's been coming up. The trailer, I think, looks like it's aimed at a very conventional audience. Yeah. But this other stuff I've been seeing indicates that it might be um, sticking pretty closely to the book as as written. And that's very exciting to me because there's a lot that's still – I just went back and reread the book, and there's um, – there's a lot in that that feels fresh. It was written in the early 60s. Still feels fresh today after all of the derivative stuff that's been done, you know, since it's been written. Yeah, and it, it it's going to be interesting to see how it plays because I agree that it seems like, you know, they want to it's a big budget movie and they want to sell it to the widest possible audience. Yeah. But there's a lot of things just you know, we talked about this back uh if if you want to hear our uh, discussion of Dune, the original uh, film that uh, David Lynch did. We did that really early on in the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't know how much of it was uh, Lynch's doing, but it seemed not all that accessible for somebody who wasn't really, you know, it wasn't like Star Wars. The um, source material is very dense. Yeah. And it really, Dune is the first of three books that's really nine books or something like that i mean it's Mm -hmm. whether or not he needed to continue writing dune or not but it's definitely the first book of a trilogy so it's more in the scope of lord of the rings Mm -hmm. it spans generations than star wars which ultimately i mean technically star wars spans generations but it's really the life of luke skywalker from 18 until his death so it's one generation um 
Anyway. Um, but yeah, back to, I mean, Enemy is a, a much, much, much smaller film, but it's like everything else that I've seen of his, of, of Dylan News, it's so well put together and the look of it is great. And there's not a lot of special effects in it, but there are special effects with these, you know, spider elements and they're very well done. And, uh, you know, it's just so well put together. And it feels tightly coiled, right? He masterfully, it's not boring. I hesitate to say it's slow because it implies that you sort of glance at your watch. And that's not the, my experience of watching it at all. And it is pulse quickening because you're trying to unfold this mystery. So it triggers like what's happening here. And there's always a sense of threat and danger. But it's a fairly measured pace, right? So it's not about people repelling down the sides of buildings and giant spiders attacking whatever, right? The spiders are just symbolism. Mm -hmm. And they're they're striking when they're there, but it's not like it's a movie that's full of spiders. Um, and everything that he, you know, I think it has the a similar pacing to to everything that he does. Arrival isn't, you know, it's not a fast-paced... No, I um, really you know, like that movie, too. Yeah, that was great. That was very, you know, interesting sci-fi. And the same thing with Blade Runner 2049. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it was why it it didn't, you know, make gigantic money. But it, there is action in it. But it's not a, you know, things aren't happening generally at a breakneck pace in it. You know, he... And, but Blade Runner's not an action movie, either. Exactly, You know, I yeah. think Blade Runner didn't... Uh, was tepid at the box office when it first came out the original become yeah. a masterpiece in retrospect a beloved you know sci-fi classic certainly a cult classic but i don't think people look back on blade runner um disparagingly they're like that's an i mean what that's a landmark film um in ridley's career and also in just sci-fi film in general and what he did with the sequel to it, I thought, was absolutely brilliant. It was mm -hmm. brilliant. And when they said, oh, Harrison Ford's coming back, I thought, uh, I don't know. I mean, I like Harrison Ford, but, I mean, the stuff he had been doing felt kind of... Put a pin in Harrison Ford. I mean, no, no, literally put a pin yeah. in him. Put I don't have access to Harrison Ford to put a pin in him, but... Yeah, there, Because there, uh, uh, there's something uh, after we finish this that I'd like to bring up about about Harrison Ford, but yeah. But anyway, this was kind of a, you know, he came back for Star Wars and he came back for like, like many actors and do throughout, you see this happen. They sort of fizzle out for a while and the work gets really watered down and sort of weak and like, they're just doing it for a paycheck and they stop altogether. And then they kind of come out of retirement or out of hiatus. And there it is again, you know, there's that hunger, there's that drive on the screen. And you're like, oh yeah, you know, that's what I'm, he came back into Star Wars, and I think without Harrison Ford coming back into that Star Wars reboot, not so much, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. I, I needed me Han Solo. Yeah, oh, for sure. And with Blade with uh, Blade Runner, it was one of these movies that handled by somebody else, you know, it was, we've seen, you could know, have this. Been terrible. It yeah. could have been terrible. And this is the era, you know, we're living in the era of remakes and reboots and re-whatever, and... You know, we see so many things where they bring, you know, I love Arnold Schwarzenegger, but Arnold has come back for, you know, 
not great Terminator movies and, and those kind of things. And it did not feel like a gimmick having Harrison Ford back for Blade Runner 2049. It wasn't no. like we're just going to have him be a cameo and, you know, he's... It, so it was just... I can't imagine... And we've, we've uh, uh, you know, hyped Blade Runner 2049 several times on the show, but I, I just can't imagine the movie having been done any better. And it's just unfortunate that I think they kind of overestimated the general movie going audiences love for Blade Runner outside of, but I'm so glad it got made. Oh yeah. I think people that know what they're looking at, see that this guy is excellent. And if he, if he has a long, rich career where he gets to continue to make movies, I think he will be, looked back on as one of the modern uh, geniuses of filmmaking. Absolutely. Because there's not a clinker so far. Again, I haven't seen um, Prisoners? What is it called? Yeah, Prisoners. Yeah. I haven't seen that one. I think that one is a is a challenging movie, not a popcorn movie. It's also a thinker, no. right? Yeah. Um, and exploring some, some difficult themes. But... You know, people who know what they're looking at, uh, they watch this game and they go, okay, so this guy, this guy has a masterful hand. And that's why he keeps getting bigger and bigger. I mean, who would green light a Dune reboot? Dune is like this, you know, only David Lynch could get the thing off the ground. There was an epic attempt that there's a documentary about that didn't work out. And and it's become this sort of like, and, and David Lynch's film was not well received. No. And so it's become this kind of, but everybody loves, it's a beloved sci-fi property and everybody, it's definitely cinematic. They wanted to see this successfully translated to the screen in the way that, um, you know, Tolkien's work was by Peter Jackson. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like the black hole, the, the Bermuda Triangle of properties. And so, you know, he's like, I'll take a crack at it. And they're like, you may, like, we'll fund that. And that's an <laughs> enormous vote of faith. I mean that, yeah. But also the thing, you know, uh, it's it's definitely a gamble, but it's also, you know, you have Dune and the other books, but I think particularly the first one is one of the best-selling books of all time, right? Yeah, it, it mean, is regarded by some as the greatest science fiction work of science fiction ever written. Yeah. I don't know that I'm willing to commit to that or not, but. If you like reading science fiction and you never read Dune, I recommend it. <laughs> Just read the first one. You don't have to read them all. Just right. read that first book. It's, it's quite something. So a couple of uh, – how about a, a couple of maybe off-topic things here really quickly, and then we'll get back to uh, our final thoughts on this. Or do you want to do the final thoughts on Enemy first? We can, and then... we can wrap up and finish. I mean, okay. I would recommend this. I think, you know, the only thing I would say to you is it's not uh, it's not a bang-bang. You know, the government hasn't cloned him, whatever, right? It's, um, if you've listened this far to the podcast, you know what we have to say, but it's a thinker. Um, I think it's really, really well done. Uh, might not be, you know, unless if it's a date thing and you're sitting there and you're both in the mood to like think it over and, and I watched just... this on a date. Did but, you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this, this, and uh, uh, 
I mean, it was uh, my significant other for a time. Uh, but we saw this and Under the Skin, uh, like I say, back to back. Yeah. Um, so, you know, together. And so, I mean, we both kind of liked strange movies like yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, if yeah. you're into it, all I'm saying is if you're into that, it's awesome. But if it's if, like, I'm going on a first date, let's watch Enemy. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you know. You'd yeah, find out really quickly it. what the person, you know, what, what kind of person they are. Yeah. I mean, if you're yeah. into film, not just go to the movies, but into film, like this is a, there's symbolism in it. And, and you know, it's not just, uh, but I thought it was really, really well done. And oh, I, yeah. I would recommend it. Definitely for someone, if you're not into ambiguity, you know, if you want the Hollywood ending where it just, everything is wrapped up in a nice bow. And the good guys this, win and the bad guys yeah, lose and this everything is goes not, back to a happy ending normal. This is not the movie for you. But if you like surrealist, ambiguous, uh, dark, somewhat, you know. Literally horrific. dark, too. The yeah, whole thing yeah, is kind of sepia-toned, so it sets this claustrophobic mood that... Everything's kind of yellow, almost, yeah. you know. Yeah, and I thought terrific jaundice. Uh, terrific. That's a great explanation. Yeah, or, or a great, not explanation, but uh, uh, a great uh, analogy. Jaundice is how it feels. Um, and and a, a couple of terrific performances from Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. And uh, the, the performances all around, are, we didn't really uh, too much get into the, the actors, but you have... Um, uh, is it Il- Isabella Rossellini? Is she the mother? Yeah, she plays his mother, right? Uh, small she's role. She's very good. And the um, you have Melanie Laurent, and you have Sarah. I guess it's Godon, um, the you know the wife and the and the girlfriend. But yeah, the performances all around are are great, and, and they're great. Um, it's not a movie about them. So I mean, also with the feminine, this is an exploration of the masculine in relation to the feminine through the eyes of the masculine, very much through the eyes of our protagonists, right? So their performances are terrific, but we never like follow them. We never get inside their heads and know what they're thinking. And, you know, so their stakes are only ever viewed through the, the male um, partner in their life. And that's very deliberate too. Yeah. It's a uh, 6.9 with 171,000 votes on IMDb. And again, this is not a movie for everybody, but I mean, this for me would be like an eight. Yeah, I'd uh, give it more than that. I'd give it half, at least you know? a 7.5. Yeah. And maybe an 8.5 if, um, I mean, if I factor in like, do I think everyone's going to love this? Then I might have to put it at 7.5. But if it's like, what... In terms of all the movies you've ever seen and, you know, what you walked away, what would you – I'd give it more like an 8.5 personally. Yeah, for sure. Um, can we take a break real quick for a second? Sure. Okay. Okay, I'm back. Okay. Um, so uh, just kind of two general movie things that uh, I wanted to talk about and just sort of get your reaction. So we put a pin in uh, – figurative pin in Harrison Ford each, you know – uh, definitely, I think both of us, uh, you know, one of our favorite actors. And it was announced this week they're still supposedly going ahead with the next Indiana Jones. And it was announced that um, Phoebe Waller, 
uh, Bridge, I think it is, um, who was the writer and star of uh, Fleabag, which I've mentioned on the show yep. a couple of times as a brilliant, yeah, as a show that I really, really loved. Um, she is going to be. I don't know if she's supposed to be the love interest or what, but they're saying she is going to co-star uh, with Harrison Ford. Wow, she's a and, generation different. Than yeah, yeah. So I don't know what, um, uh, but they're making out like, you know, it's not just a bit part um, or whatever. Yeah, Untitled Indiana Jones Project 2022 she is, and I don't know if you've seen much about this, but I have it, not. it is going to be the first one that Steven Spielberg does not direct. Um, it's going to be directed by James Mangold, who did yep. Logan and uh, Ford versus Ferrari. Yep. Um, Good. So director. I, I think you know, I think Spielberg, he just doesn't do that kind of movie anymore. Um, and so I think it's okay that somebody, you know, somebody younger after um, the crystal skull, it's fine. You yeah. know what I mean? And I didn't, that was hate the one the, that I didn't, I didn't either, it. but it, it was the one that I, you know, that, that I lost my grip on the, it was like when star Wars came back, I enjoy the new movies. I'm not going to hate on the new movies, but the kid in me that was hook, line and sinker, you know, had grown up and was like, that was fun. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. And Crystal Skull was like, I'm like, wow, that was a little a bit all over the place. And there were some, a few things that clinked on my ear and stuff. And I'm like, wow, he looks old. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, he's how many years older now? That so I mean, he's gonna look old. But my, I don't know what they'll do with it. But my hope, and maybe since James Mangold is the guy involved, and he also did Logan. I would like to, you know, I know they're not going to make it that gritty, but I would almost like to see kind of a lighter, sort of an unforgiven Indiana Jones. You know what I mean? Where it's just like he's really old now. You, he's sorry, gonna, you used unforgiven and lighter in the same. I, I know, I know. Sentence. I know that's hard to. You know, a light film like <laughs> Unforgiven. I know that's hard to, but you know what I'm saying? It's like I would. I can't imagine that they'll do it, but I would be fine if he died at the end, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, this is the end of, of Indiana well, Jones. Well, I, I thought pass the torch. Maybe they're passing the Indiana Jones torch to to Phoebe, and uh, it's just a whole fresh new take on it where she'll basically, she can move. So now, I mean, if he was in the, like, what era are we up to now? Because we were up to the fifties. This is they're saying this is going to take place. In, they're saying this is going to take place in the sixties. Um, I mean, that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, and she's so. I just think she's so interesting. Um, she's dynamite. You know, she's a brilliant actor. Um, she's not classically beautiful, but she's still really attractive. Yeah, um, and you know? she's smart. And she's complicated. Yes. Yeah. She, and that, uh, Fleabag is brilliant. And I think season two is even more brilliant than season yeah, one. It's, I think I've said this before on the show. I mean, it's maybe my favorite series of the last 10 or so years. I mean, I just, I just loved it, you know, so much. So I think it's, you know, 
like you said at her I don't know what her age is exactly. She's probably she's late not as 30s. old as Harrison Ford. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna say. She was born in nineteen eighty five. Um so she's not it's it would be ridiculous if they made her the love interest. Yeah. You know, I mean that just would make no sense. But uh but I, I'm just very curious as to what they're going to do with her in the movie, and I hope it's a major part and not just kind of a you know It would be a shame and a waste if it weren't. Yeah. She's also involved in the new, um, I don't think in an acting capacity, but she uh, she was involved with the script for the new uh, James Bond movie. Huh, no um, kidding. I don't think she wrote it entirely, but I think she kind of came in and polished it. And um, uh, what's the guy's name? Who's the who's the current James Bond? Because he he actually brought her in. He you know no he wanted way. her to be involved. Um, um, Daniel Craig. Yeah, Daniel Craig. Uh, which totally that's been aside. done and dusted for a while. That's just been sitting in a can waiting cr- until things open back up. Yeah, because of the virus. Which I'm I'm really excited about that too because that's the director of the first season of True Detective. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm eagerly awaiting it. <laughs> and another upcoming thing, the I think it, I believe it was yesterday, the trailer dropped for this Army of the Dead. Uh, after last week, we kind of you know bashed. Uh, not necessarily Zack Snyder himself, but the the his the Snyder cut of Justice League. But this Army of the Dead, it looks ridiculous, but looks like a hell of a lot of fun. It does. It looks like a ton of fun. And I said this on the episode that we did with Tom. Uh, you know, I, I I said I would not care if I saw another zombie movie the rest of my life, but. I'm going to watch this one, you know. Yeah, it's it's really kind of brilliant. It's a heist movie. <laughs> yeah. Set in the zombie apocalypse or in at Las least Vegas. Some sort of contained, right? I mean, yeah. the, the the what I gather, and I could be wrong, is that some zombie apocalypse happened in Vegas and they managed to wall it off or something. So it's literally this dead zone and somebody is bankrolling this crack team of, you know, renegade operators to go in there and bust all the money out from under the zombies in one of the casino vaults. And it's just right off the bat, you're like, oh man, that could be so much fun. And the trailer makes it look like it's every bit as fun as it would sound. Yeah, it's a it's a great trailer. And you have uh, Dave Bautista headlining yeah. that, who I is a... I mean, and what an... Because he, he started out, he was an MMA guy, right? Wasn't I don't know. His, like, ultimate I know I think that that's he, where he, he looks. Out. He looks like a tank. Like he mm-hmm. looks like the Hulk. Literally, he's just too, almost too big to fit in a shirt. Mm-hmm. But he's a really good actor. I mean, fantastic, uh, great comedic work in the Guardians of the Galaxy films, <laughs> so and great. then Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which we keep coming back to. He has a nice, you know, kind of small part in that, and. Uh, He's a that really makes, interesting actor. It makes me think of that bit in Guardians of the Galaxy where he's like as Drax. He's like telling them all about how, you know, his father and mother would sit around at the whatever the solstice and they would recount the, you know, their lovemaking that conceived each of the kids. Mm-hmm. And Star-Lord's kind of embarrassed and rolls his eyes. Like, I don't think we want to hear about, you know, <laughs> your your old man and your old woman bumping uglies or whatever. Uh-huh. And he's like, it was 
beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> you earthers of hangups. <laughs> yeah, I love the I love the way that character is written. And you know, he is a guy that could be uh you know, kind of the equivalent of the eighties action star guys, but with a lot more depth. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. not just a dumb uh not saying they were dumb, but he's he's not just a dumb muscle bound guy. No, and I think they've tossed a couple of those, you know, fluffy roles at him. I haven't seen them where they pair him with a kid or you know, I think they're yeah. trying a bunch of different stuff on him. But there's a reason that he's finding himself more and more in he's in Dune, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we're seeing him and I think as Drax, he's not he's one of those guys that just you could never imagine anyone else doing that part. Um Yeah. It's so I unique. think they give they they're giving him complex roles. Right? And the only reason he's not gonna play Hamlet is he's literally the size of a horse. Yeah. And that would be weird. Yeah, it would. And with nobody in Hamlet comments on how incredibly <laughs> muscle bound. <laughs> yes, Hamlet is. <laughs> Hamlet, you're so muscle bound. But um, he, I, I read a, a comment from him that he said he specifically did this Army of the Dead movie because he wanted to work with Zack Snyder. Hmm. So, um, you know, there's that. But yeah, I, I think, and, and you know, it's one of these things where it, it it's going to be on Netflix in May, and so if you have Netflix, which a whole lot of people do. Many do. It's if it turns out to be terrible, you you had already paid for it. You know, there it's you not go. like you go to the the movie theater and pay twelve or fifteen bucks or whatever to watch it. But yeah, that's uh. So after seeing that trailer, I'm 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 pretty hyped for that one. I think it's going to be a, a very cool movie. I agree. I'm excited. Um, and we are at time, so okay. let's do our call. So we got Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail dot com. Feedback, suggestions, thoughts, nice things. Um, we're on all give the us socials. A, give us a uh, uh, subscribe on uh, particularly Apple Podcasts, but wherever you get your podcasts. And um, if you like the show, give us a review. We would like to have some reviews. That would yes, be very, very nice. And so um, then for next week, yes. the plan is Akira or Akira. 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 And did you watch it already? I did. Uh, oh, okay. I, th- I, I will talk about it right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I did. And I'm excited to talk about cool, it next cool. week. And Tom said he might have been able to join us this week. Maybe he can join us next week for Akira. Nice. I'm very Akira. excited. That's a, yeah, that's one I've seen. More I had than never once. seen it. I, I had never seen it before, uh, crazily. But um, it is a seminal anime. I watched the dub version. I think that it's. I wouldn't recommend the dub version of all anime films, but I thought this one was was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And it's one. It's you know. I think we could say a little bit along the lines of Dune, where um, you know it's a different source material, but there have been many attempts to make a live action mm. version of it, which I imagine will happen someday. Uh, yes, we'll see. That, that's a challenge. Oh yeah, yeah. So alrighty. So, for next time, um, why don't you go watch uh, Akira, Akira, and uh, we will talk to you next week.